page 352 in your songbooks. 352, the words of the song say, My hope is in the Lord. Amen. And it ought not be any place else. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. No merit of my own is anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. And now for me he stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely his grace has planted all, tis mine but to believe, and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. Let's sing it for me. He died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely Amen. And now let's turn to page 169. 169, there is power in the blood. Amen. 169. 169. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. 
Lord you do service for Jesus your King. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. Let's hear it. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning you've given us this Sunday to be here in your house to worship you, pray that you would bless the services. We ask God that we would hear from you today. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts that we may act upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to welcome you to our services this morning. We just quickly want to let you know that Pastor is safely uh, in Washington uh, during this uh, trip. Uh, everything seems to be going well. The van is all right. Uh, so he appreciates our prayers. Uh, we'd appreciate that you would continue to pray for him during this time of his vacation and uh, so that we could have, he could have some traveling mercies and safety on his way back into New York. Uh, we, uh, we have a treat for us all this time. Uh, Brother Shaw Wilson Shaw, uh, who is uh, the preacher and the pastor of the Portuguese language services, uh, will be preaching for us this morning. Uh, and Brother Ted shall be preaching for us tonight. So we encourage everybody that's here this morning to come right back tonight because I will tell you, you will be blessed. When you miss those services, let me tell you, uh, it's when God speaks and you miss out, like Pastor always says. And then next Thursday, I believe, um, Brother Nielsen will be with us, and we have more preachers uh, coming along. So we encourage everyone to be here in our services for everything. Uh, and um, it's about all I can remember now. If anything else, after the services, Brother Ted will make the last few announcements. So um, let's sing two more songs. Let's stand together and turn to page 399. 399, he took my sins away. What a blessing, amen. 399. I came to Jesus weary, worn, and sad. He took my sins away, he took my sins away. And now his love has made my heart so glad. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away. He took my sins away. The load of sin was more than I could bear. He took them all away. He took them all away. And now on him I roll my every care. He took my sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. No condemnation have I in my heart, amen. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, his perfect peace he did to me impart. He took my sins away, my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. 
so glad he took my sins away. He took my sins away. If you will come to Jesus Christ today, he'll take your sins away. He'll take your sins away and keep you happy in his love he stay. He'll take your sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. Amen. 534, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen. 534, if you, if you mean it, sing it like you do. Amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood jesus jesus how i trust him how i've proved him more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more yes tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Let me hear you, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Now this time we'll have all the children, 11 and under, dismissed to the junior church. And we will sing the last verse. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. And you may be seated. And Brother Shaw, the pulpit is all yours.
before that, I believe we have a special. So we'll just um, listen to the music. Trust the God who knows my life from start to end and know he's working all things for my good. It may be that some sorrow will befall me. The friends I love and trust may turn away. But I have a friend who's always there and meets my need. He says this too will surely pass away. Trust him, trust him. It's all that I can do. For he's working it together. He works all things together. He's working it together for my good. He did not say the road would be a smooth one. He did not promise sunshine and no rain. But peace and joy he gives to those who look beyond this life and comfort through their tears of grief and pain. So if your dreams have turned to dust and ashes, and you can do the things you wish you could, remember God is wiser far than any mortal man. And he works all things together for your good. Trust him, trust him. It's all that you can do. For he's working it together. He works all things together. He's working it together for your good.
Good morning. Why don't we open our Bibles to the book of Psalms? I appreciate Pastor Montoro giving me the opportunity to preach today to you folks, and I trust the Lord will meet with us and give us a blessing here. Psalms chapter 73. Psalms chapter 73. We're not going to read the whole psalm uh, at one time. What we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the psalm. We have some 28 verses. And I hope that these verses will be a blessing in your heart as we study them today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, dear Lord, for the great salvation we have. We ask now, dear Lord, that you would meet with us in a special way. Pray the Holy Spirit would take control of each mind and heart. There be no distractions. But that your people today will hear the word. We pray, dear Lord, to be the unsaved person here, that this might be the day of salvation. We ask, dear Lord, that you would edify your people and save souls. For Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We read here that Psalm 73 was uh, written by a man by the name of Asaph. And as we look at the Bible, we find there were a number of Psalms which he wrote, starting with seven, well, there's one previous to 73, and then several others. As far as what we can really know about the man, it's not a whole lot. Uh, we understand he was a Levite. He lived during the time of King David. Uh, and, of course, that would have been uh, many years ago. And uh, he wrote this psalm and a number of other psalms, and he was one of the leading musicians of his time. You see, there was a group of Levites who had the special privilege and responsibility of presenting music in the worship of the Lord. And he was involved in this special ministry of music, and, of course, we read in Solomon's day that they had many, many uh, singers, And this was a very important part of worship to the Lord in those days. And as it is today, you know, we have our song service, and then we follow that usually with preaching and Bible study. In Psalm 73, this man, Asaph, opens his heart, and he reveals his own spiritual battle. And this battle is between what he knew in his heart to be true and what his eyes kept telling him. Now, I want you to think a minute. Have you ever just thought, what's the use? You ever thought about just, you know, throwing up your hands and saying, it doesn't do any good to serve God? I try to do everything right, and it seems like it all turns out wrong. I try to give an honest testimony for the Lord, a good testimony for the Lord. In the place where I work, in the neighborhood where I live, And yet, my neighbors belittle me, and at work, uh, I work as hard or harder than anybody else, but yet I've been passed over for promotions. And uh, you just feel, you know, why am I serving God? Well, all of us have periods of depression and doubt, and Asaph had them too. And God in his wisdom has recorded the inner battle that Asaph had And God, to help encourage you and to help encourage me in our daily struggles, has recorded these things here in Psalm 23. The title I gave this message was this, The Confessions of an Honest Man. The Confessions of an Honest Man. I want us to look at the different parts of it, and I want us to look at what Asaph said. 
And really, I'm just going to go, go through and kind of give sort of a paraphrase of each verse, try to put it in context as to, you know, what would be today if he were here. First of all, in verse 1, we have a declaration of the, uh, theological truth. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Now, this is what he knew in his heart to be true. He knew this is what the Bible taught. He knew this was a truth, an eternal truth, a Bible truth. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And if we put that in the context of uh, the New Testament, we would say, truly God is good to his people, to those who live holy lives. Right? Now, that's a theological truth. That's a Bible truth. And if you're a saved person, you know in your heart, you know, that's, that's what the Bible teaches. That's right. That's true. But if you notice the first verse of chapter 2073, uh, verse 2 is, but. And the word but always tells us that what is to follow is in contrast to what has been said previously. And now we come to the but. He says, I know this is what truth is. I know this is what's right. But that's not what I'm seeing around me. What my eyes are telling me are different from what my heart tells me. I know God's good to his people. And, and I know uh, he, he takes care of those who live clean, holy lives. But I look around and I see ungodly people. And I see people who have no fear of God. And I see people who they're not concerned at all about holy living. And they don't really care what they do. And they don't care what they say. And they don't have time for God. And they look like to me they're doing pretty well. Like I said, these are the confessions of an honest man. Most of us don't, in audible voices, say these things. But sometimes we think these things. We look around and we say, you know, I really want to serve God. I really want to please God. But it looks like people who don't have that same desire are doing pretty good in their life. Well, then we get to the second part of this chapter, and that's the confession of personal doubt. He starts out with a declaration of theological truth, which is really what he knew in his heart. But then when we get to verse 2, we have that but, where he's, he's now going to go in the opposite direction. Now, instead of telling us what he believes in his heart, what he knows to be true, he's going to tell us what his personal observations have been. In verse 2, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, putting it in terms of day, I almost backslid, I almost quit. That's what he says. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. He said, I, I just, you know, I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit going to church. I was ready to quit reading my Bible. I was ready to quit praying. I was ready just to, you know, throw it all aside. I was going to quit. Now, he's being honest. 
Now, if I asked for a show of hands today and said, uh, have any of you ever felt that way? Some of you would raise your hand and probably others would lie about it and not raise your hand. Right? Because I know it gets tough. I was saved in 1968. So, you know, I've been along this trail a long time and I know there's some really tough places. And sometimes you, when you, you think you're trying to do your best for the Lord, it seems like there's no rewards connected to it. Let's go on, though. We're not finished. Verse 3. In verse 3, he says, uh, and this is uh, what he saw when he looked at the ungodly. From verses 3 to 12, Asaph is just telling us his observations. You know, he said, I, I was looking at uh, the unsaved, the people who don't fear God, and here's what I saw. He said, I looked at the ungodly, and they seemed to be doing quite well without God. Verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Hey, they were getting along real well. Had good jobs, good home, good car. They were getting along real well. And uh, I was envious of them. I mean, you know, here I am trying to live a godly, holy, disciplined life, and they don't care. But they're doing pretty well. Then verse 4, he says, they live with good health, and then they just quietly pass away, you know. Verse 4, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Talking about they don't have that physical suffering, you know. They don't go through years of being bedridden or stuff like that. They just kind of reach into life and then they just pass on. Maybe you know of someone, maybe someone in your family, uh, maybe someone in the church that you know has been bedridden and they have maybe had a lot of physical pain. Maybe you've had a lot of physical pain. Maybe you've spent time on your back looking at the ceiling and, and you wondered, why, Lord? Why, Lord? One time I, I was talking to a brother and we were talking about another pa uh, preacher and he said, uh, this preacher said that if you ask why, it's sin. Well, I have to disagree with him because Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if Jesus could ask why, I'm sure we can ask why also. Now, we may not get an answer. If we look at the book of Job, we find out that Job had a whole lot of questions. Job went through a lot of physical suffering, mental anguish. Uh, he, spiritually, he was, you know, at low tide. And he asked God a lot of questions. He wanted to know why. What have I done? Show me something I've done. What's the accusation against me that I deserve all this? And you know what God said? Nothing. He didn't answer his questions. He did ask him some, though. He said, Job, where were you when I created the world? What he was saying was, Job, you can't even begin to understand it all. And as far as you and I are concerned in this life, 
we just can't begin to understand it all. We will have eternity for that. And so Asaph, he's having a hard time with things here. He said, I looked at the ungodly, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, you know, they have health. Then comes time to die. They don't suffer and, and uh, spend uh, years on, in bedridden. They just, you know, they just quietly pass away. And then he went on to say, they don't have the problems that other men have. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. I mean, he's talking about not just the run-of-the-mill unsafe person. He's talking about people, these are ungodly people who just really kind of seem to make a point of living ungodly lives. And, and you know, they just don't seem to have the difficulties that other people have. What's going on here? I know in my heart that God is good. I know in my heart that he's good to such as are of a clean heart. But in what my eyes are telling me is not agreeing with what my heart tells me. And God, I'm having a hard time with this. These are the confessions of an honest man. And then over in verse 6 he says, talking about these ungodly people, he says they're proud. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. And this chain he's talking about, he's talking about what they wore for jewelry, you know. He had a gold chain about his neck. And what he's saying is, wherever they go, just like he wears that gold chain, wherever he goes, he's proud. And then he says, not only that, but they're violent. Second part, part of verse 6, violence covered them as a garment. They're proud and they're violent. And then verse 7, he says, they're extremely wealthy. These are the fat cats. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. And he's having a hard time about this. They're wealthy. They're in good health. They seem to be doing very well in their lives. And I don't understand why I have so much trouble and they don't seem to have any trouble. He says they're corrupt. They take bribes, verse 8. <coughs> they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Maybe some of them were judges. Maybe some of them were city officials. They were in places of authority. They can make decisions that would favor one person over another. And he says, they are corrupt. They'll take bribes, and then they'll joke about it. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. Not only that, but they speak evil of both God and man. Verse 9. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. He said, they have no shame about them. Uh, you know, they make uh, blasphemous jokes about God. They speak evil of God. They criticize God. And they criticize man. 
uh, you know, they don't feel any shame at all about what they say about anyone, even God. And then he says, they ridicule and embarrass God's people, making them eat their own words. Verse 10. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. Now when he talks about his people, it's not talking about the people of the ungodly. It's talking about God's people. Because he started out in verse 1 talking about, Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. And now in verse 10, he's talking about these ungodly people, they ridicule and embarrass God's people, and they delight in making them eat their own words. Have you ever been in a discussion with someone, maybe it was about a Bible subject, one hot subject is creation versus evolution. And uh, you took the worst of it. You knew you were right. But they made you eat your words. I mean, you couldn't prove it. You knew you were right. But they, they made a big joke out of you, what you said. Maybe embarrassed you in front of others. Belittled you in front of others. Now that's what he's talking about. Not only do they make light of truth, they actually are against the truth and speak against the truth and try to belittle and humiliate anyone who would take a stand for the truth. Verse 11, they say that God doesn't even know what's going on. You know, if God's who you say he is, why doesn't he do something? Now, either he is a God who is a good God but doesn't care, or he's impotent in taking care of his business. So evidently, he must be somewhere in there where he just doesn't have any, he's not, able to know what's going on around here. So if he's really a good God, definitely he would have to do something. So he must be ignorant of what's going on and impotent in, in doing anything. He has no power here. That's what they're saying to him, verse 11. And they say, how doth God know and is there knowledge in the Most High? Well, that was what he saw when he looked at the ungodly. And then... From looking at the ungodly, Asaph goes to looking at himself. He's looked at the ungodly. He's seen all that is in their lives. And then in verse 13, he starts looking at his own life. And what does he say? He says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. And he said, I have cleansed my heart in vain. If something's vain, it means it's worthless. So what he's saying is, I have lived a holy life for nothing. He said, it's done me no good to put my trust in God and live a holy life. You know, that's, that's something, you know, we don't vocalize very much, you know, but sometimes we might think that. I mean, praise the Lord, it's not an everyday thought. But we all have bouts of depression and discouragement, and we begin to think, does it really pay to serve God? 
Is God really interested in Is God looking after me? Is, 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 is he even active in, in, in this world, you know, and what's going on? Look at all the wickedness around. Look at all the wicked people. So he starts looking at himself now, and he says, it's just, it's done me no good to put my trust in God and live a holy life. And he says, all I have gotten out of my dedication to God has been trouble and chastisement. Verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. You know, sometimes that's, that seems to be it. You know, we are, we catch the blunt of things. And we look at the ungodly, and he gets by scot-free doing something. We come along and do the same thing, and we get caught. Well, there is a difference, you know. In Hebrews, we're told that God chastens his own. He doesn't chasten all. He chastens his own. Asaph wasn't seeing that right then. But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that uh, God chastens all of his own. Not just some of his own, but all of his own. And so, you know, if you can just live any old way and get by with it, and you never have any kind of trouble at all, I want to tell you something. That's good evidence you're not saved. That's good evidence that uh, God's not correcting you because... God corrects his children. He doesn't correct the devil's children. And the Bible teaches there's two families. You know, there's a spiritual family, God's family, and then there's a devil's family. And if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, you're still over there on the devil's side, whether you realize it or not. And you can do a lot of things and nothing will happen to you. Unless maybe the police catch you. But God won't chasten you because you're not his. Just like when my children were small, I corrected them, but I didn't correct the kids that were running up and down the street outside because they weren't mine. I didn't always like what they were doing, but I did not correct them because they were not my children. God corrects his own. And so Asaph, he wasn't realizing that. He was looking at things not through spiritual eyes, but through carnal lives, through the flesh, he was just under this, this burden of depression. He's seeing all that's happening. He can't understand it. And then he says in verse uh, 15, if I open my mouth to tell my thoughts, then I'm only going to hurt my children, causing them to doubt God. He says, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of my children. Well, it's a good thing he didn't. I mean, in Holy Writ, we have this, but he realized, I can't go home and talk about this. Because this is just going to damage my child's faith. And every night I see my child get down beside his bed to say his prayers, and they thank God for Mommy and Daddy, and they pray for Mommy and Daddy. And I'm not gonna, I can't tell this to my kid. I can't tell him that God's not just with me. He'll lose confidence in God. And maybe, you know, you've thought about, boy, I'd like to talk to somebody about this, but I can't talk to the pastor about this. He'll, he'll just chew me up for having such thoughts as this. Well, I don't really think so, but we tend to think that way. 
Or I, you know, maybe I could talk to a brother or sister here in the church, brother and sister in Christ, and, oh, I can't. If I tell them, I'll hurt them. I can't do that. Asaph, in his honesty, he's just opening his heart. He's letting us see all his honest doubts and things. And finally, in verse 16, he says, When I thought about all this, it was just too much for me. I was overwhelmed. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I can't deal with it. I can't handle it. But then we come to verse 17. And verse 17 is the pivot point of this whole chapter. This is the most important verse of the whole chapter because here is where he stops looking at things through human eyes and he begins to see things through God's eyes. And many times I prayed, Lord, Help me to see things through your eyes. Years ago, I, I was reading a magazine article, and, and that was the, the theme of the article. And I, I cut out, the, I think it was the title of the article, and I pasted it there at my desk so I would see that. Seeing things through God's eyes because, you know, it's a tough world out there for the Christian. We're not citizens of this world. We're pilgrims. We're the immigrants here, all right? <laughs> uh, we're not citizens here. We're just passing through. We're on our way to a better place. But as long as we're here, we have to live here. And if we look at things in this life through human eyes, we're going to be just like Asaph was up to this point. He was discouraged, and he was ready to quit. He knew in his heart that God was good. He knew in his heart it was right to live a holy life. But he couldn't understand why his life was as hard as it was. But then there's a turning point when, as a Levite, he was able to go into the sanctuary. Now remember the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple. It's not like our church today. It wasn't a place where all the people went to worship God. They brought their animal sacrifices to the door and they presented them there uh, to the priest and he examined it and then uh, the confession of sin was made and so forth and then the animal was offered. If they went into the sanctuary, it was only the priests, the Levites. They were the ones who went in there. The common people didn't go in there where the altar of incense was and the, the table of showbread and the, can, the a candlestick. That, that was off limits to people like you and me. You know, This was where the Levites went, especially the sons of Aaron. Well... As a, a Levite, he was able to go into that place. And so in verse 17, he says, well, let's read 16 and 17 together. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood therein. Now he's getting a totally different perspective on things. Before he knew what was right in his heart, he stated that in verse 1. But then as he looked about him, he saw all the wickedness. He saw the prosperity of ungodly people. He saw what he thought was good lives on their part. And then and he looked at his own problems, his own troubles, and he thought, you know, why do I serve God? But then that day came when he walked into the sanctuary and the Spirit of God just took hold of his heart. And the Spirit of God said to him, Asaph, you're a pilgrim here. Asaph, I know it's hard. I know you've seen all these things. But this is not the end of the story. This is just one chapter. Because the best those people are ever going to know is right here on this earth. And the worst you're ever going to know is right here on this earth. This life is not all there is to human existence. I remember one time I was in a, a meeting and uh, different ones were introducing themselves and a the guy introduced himself and he said, you know, my father, he was a, a missionary in Hawaii for so many years and it went on and somebody else said, uh, uh, is your dad alive today? And he said, not on this planet. God's people live forever, amen? Not here, praise the Lord, but forever we live. And so... Now he sees it, beginning to see it. This life's not all there is to human existence. God, the righteous judge, will judge all men. Things as they are now will suddenly come to an end. Let's read 17 through 20. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou, canst, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. He's saying, you know, it seems like God's not doing anything, that he's ignorant of everything that's going on, but he knows everything that's going on. And the day's coming when God's going to judge all of them. And listen. The day is coming when Jesus will return and this whole mess that this world is in will be changed. Amen? You see, Asaph had forgotten that it's not just 60, 70, or 80 years that count. It's eternity that counts, right? And so we have before us the best which is yet to come. Amen? So that was his confession of heartfelt conviction here in uh, verses 20, beginning with 21. In verses 17 through 20, we have a recognition of eternal truth, that this is not all there is, that God, the righteous judge, will judge men. And uh, suddenly, you know, 
he's going to one day say that's it and things are going to change. But beginning in verse 21 and in verse 22, we have a confession of heartfelt conviction. Now he's, he gets under conviction about what he was feeling, okay, what he was observing, rather. He says in verse 21, So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. What he's saying is, when I began to see things through God's eyes, I became convicted in my own heart. And uh, that'll happen in your life and in my life too. When we start to see things through God's eyes, we'll get convicted about our own thoughts and our own opinions, the way we judge things. And in verse 22, he says, I was acting like some dumb animal, only thinking of here and now with no thought of eternity. You know, animals, they don't think about eternity. I mean, for them, there's no eternity to think about, really. You know, if an animal has food and water, he's happy. That's it. And Asaph is saying, you know, I was like a dumb animal. I was just looking at the material, at the, the here and now, what, what's the day? And then in verse, beginning with verse 23, we see that he has a realization of divine presence. And as we go through verses 23 through 26, I want you to note these things, and I want you to ask God, if you do not have a realization of these things in your life already, I want you to pray and ask God, oh God, help this to be a reality in my own life, if you're saved. Verse 23 says, my first realization of divine presence is the fact that God is with me. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. He's saying, you know, I'm with God all the time. The, David spoke of this. He says, where can I go from the presence of God? There's no place. Even if I go to the depths, if I go all the way to, to hell, he's there. He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's no place God isn't. I can't get away from God. And he says... I'm with God all the time. I mean, he hasn't left me. He's here. I'm with him. And he's with me. In verse 24, he said, Not only is he with me, but he guides me. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. He guides me, and he's going to take me to another place that's better than this place. Amen? His guidance is to take me to that place. And then in verse 25 he says, My wealth is my God and my relationship to him. Verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. He looked at the wicked. He saw their material wealth, and he was wondering, Wow, why do they have it so good? And now with the realization of divine presence, he says, My wealth is my God and my relationship to Him. That's, that's my wealth. It's not the money I have in the bank. It's not the car I drive. It's not the house I live in. It's not the clothes I wear. It's my God and my relationship to Him. That's my wealth. In verse 26 he says, 
and my God is my strength. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, here he's talking about a strong heart, and he's not speaking of a strong heart in the physical terms. He's talking about this in spiritual terms. And you know what? I have seen and met people, and maybe you too, that physically they were very frail. But they had the heart of a lion in spiritual things. And he's saying, you know, this is really what true strength is. It's not muscles that you carry on this skeleton of bone, but it's a heart for God. And in verse, the last two verses, it gives a conclusion to the whole thing, okay? Verses 27 and 28, he just kind of wraps it up, and he says this. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring after thee. Excuse me, from thee. But... It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Now, here's what he says. He's saying in verse 27, God will judge the wicked. God's going to judge the wicked. And in verse 28, he says, the best thing for me to do is to live close to God, trust him, and testify to his grace, mercy, and goodness. That's the best thing for me to do. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. I mean, shall is a very strong term. That's not maybe... That's, it's going to happen. That's what it's saying. You shall suffer persecution. But Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 tells us about God's chastening. For there it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with his sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, of whom all are partakers then are you bastards and not sons. This song is for God's people. This is a confession of an honest man. And God in his wisdom has preserved this for us because we, like Asaph, have times of despair and doubt and discouragement. And we need to do like Asaph did. And that is take our eyes off the people of this world and put our eyes on our eternal God. Because even though we don't understand everything now, we do know God is good to his people. Amen? That he's going to take care of us and our duty, like it says in verse 28, draw near to God, put our trust in Him, 
and declare his works. But listen, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're like those wicked. I mean, your life might be going pretty well for you. You may think things are going well, but listen, this life is not all there is to it. The other night when I was preaching to, uh, to the Portuguese congregation, the Portuguese language congregation, I made a comment to them. I never even thought about this before, but I guess, you know, the Lord just put it in my mouth and it came out. I said, we're all going to die poor. And that's true. We're all going to die poor because we're not taking anything with us. So it doesn't matter how much you accumulate now. <laughs> Forget it. We're all going to die poor as far as this world is concerned. But he that doeth the will of God and lives a godly life and stores up things for eternity, when you get to heaven, your treasure will be waiting. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what you need to do. Salvation means forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin only God can give. No church can give. You're saved not by joining a church, but by personally putting your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. Today, you can be saved by putting your faith in Jesus. If you are here as a saved person and you've had to deal with these problems and today God spoke to your heart, why don't you just get that right with God? Ask him, Lord, Lord, help me to look at things through your eyes. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Brother Ted will be leading us. I'll be here if you want to speak with me. If I can